from Daylight Interactive, this is Stories for You. I'm your host, Kazuki Akiba. This is a show where I talk with different individuals, ranging from artists to entrepreneurs, about their journey of where they began and where they are now. It was uh, it, like I remember, uh, like when I was like a kid, and like maybe I'm showing my age here, but like I remember actually not needing zip codes for, like back in the day, <laughs> like if your number was local. So, uh, like, I was in that transition, and it was just really No, same here. Um, <laughs> I remember calling my friends through our, like, house phones and giving only, I remember only putting in, what, like, seven digits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only seven digits, and now we have to put in ten. Yeah. To get, ten or eight, maybe eleven sometimes, too, mm-hmm. because of international. Yeah. So, that's just uh, one challenging bit, but it's, it's, it's interesting how technology just changed us. This week's guest is game developer and CEO of Brooklyn Games, Hisfasio Hassan. Born and raised in Far Rockway, New York, Hisfasio fought his way to the top of the developer circle and today strives to make games that focus on social commentary and reflect change and diversity in the media landscape. So I live in Crown Heights, Brooklyn now. Oh, great area. uh, Yeah, it's a wonderful area. We um, kind of like live there since the like well um the area that we're in it's really interesting to see there the evolution of it mm-hmm. because uh the evolution of this neighborhood went from like bullet bullet to cafe bistro so <laughs> in like a matter of like six to seven years so it's really interesting to see that i know originally you're from queen's far away rock far rock away right so yeah can you tell me about your background in so where do you really call home and what was your like upbringing like during that sure. time? So um, what I really call home is actually Queens. I grew up there and like it wasn't until like I was about a teenager when we moved out. Um, that's where I kind of like formed myself, had like um, had like had the fun childhood memories of like, you know, hanging out with my brothers and stuff like that. So and also gained that the passion of like wanting to create worlds and create video games and stuff like that. So um, we lived in Far Rockaway in the 90s. The 90s was not the best time to live in Far Rockaway. It was a beautiful place, really close to the beach. I, gr- I grew up there and I grew up with uh, two brothers, um, older and younger. Um, uh, my, so you're the middle, middle yeah, child. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, so I... I actually um, learned about video games from my older brother. My older brother was actually like um, really amazed by this new hot system back in 1996 called an N64. I don't know if you ever heard yes, of that before. I played it. I played it. Super <laughs> Smash Bros. Yeah. back in the days where it was rectangular and yeah. the game itself was had that weird round shape on the top yeah. and it was rectangular. You have to plug it in. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was blowing into the system when it wasn't working. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's uh, it was really it it is so cool because um, like it went we 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 jumped instantly from like two D to three D. So like our first game console was like this three D machine, and we're just like, whoa, oh my god, the future is now! Like, uh, and like when I saw that, like I think the first game we ever got was like Mario Kart 64 or something like that. And <laughs> I remember that game. Yeah. <laughs> um, all I wanted to do was just kind of like, all I thought about was just like what, while racing what's going on in like the outside area, was, is there a story there? Is there like, like this world that's kind of built around just this racetrack is amazing. And 
um slowly but surely we got more and more games uh like uh we when i was a teen we switched to um ps2 and um uh we got gta 3 granted like you know as a teenager i probably shouldn't have been playing it um but um i was more amazed by like the worlds in there and like i realized like there's like i want to build these worlds one day like i want to build something like that and that was my childhood, I guess. It was just like a lot of video games and bike riding. So <laughs> would you Rockaway. say your brother interested you into the world of gaming and like your and your passion yeah, started he, with that? Yeah, he actually, uh, he, 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 if it wasn't for him, like, I don't think I would have gotten like, um, like the games that I, that really got me excited for, like just making stuff. Um, so he secretly doesn't know this, but like, yeah, it was, it was honestly, uh, it was, it was his influence that kind of got me excited about making, uh, games and stuff like that. And, and, um, just, and wanting to create my own game. So unlike most teenagers who played video games, like Grand Theft Auto for the violence and chaos, his Fasio loved the game for the world and storytelling lying within the GTA series. I was more uh, in love with the worlds of like GTA over just kind of like the core gameplay mechanics. What people actually really come to GTA for is, you know, you, you, you know the deal. Like, so. <laughs> yes. uh, violence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, there is this really amazing kind of uh, world they build for the violence. Like you can like there's a park you can kind of go to you can just like stand around and see a story kind of take place while you're just like while you just have your controller idle like there would be a mugger that robbed somebody and then a cop will see that and then chase the mugger and then uh and then like they'll like beat him to a pulp this is violent but like this is also this really cool story that happens with just the ai system in there like the guy would actually the guy would actually like be be hurt and dead and then like an ambulance would come and revive him and then he just goes on with his life and then the cycle continues and you just <laughs> you just had the controller just sitting there and this all this happened in front of you and it's like those kind of amazing worlds is like what kind of uh like those kind of actions in a really cool kind of like like urban world with like trains and stuff like that that i took back when i was a kid and well like that i still take and stuff is what really excited me about like just uh, the gta world and made me want to kind of build worlds like that um and kind of like take have a different kind of gameplay mechanic in there one day his fascio discovered that communication was an important overlooked aspect of software application and decided to study communications at the state of university in new york oswego campus Soon after graduation, his Vasio realized he wanted to go into the technological side of the business and applied for the Flatiron School, a coding boot camp. After I graduated from college, I actually um, realized that um, I wanted to do something more technology based. Like I wanted to like make games, but I know that's just really not a thing in New York City. A lot of like when I was like when I graduated and understood and was like kind of like traversing the world for, uh, for uh, new opening positions or things I can jump on and stuff like that. So I um, discovered the Flatiron School really just trying to figure out how I can like learn programming without just kind of having to like spend another four years in college and 
luckily for me, this is like, this is a mixture of luck and, uh, you know, like skill and luck, like coming together. But, um, uh, I found the Flatiron School. I was like working on like small little, um, baby projects in, uh, Unity. Like they were just more on the lines of like small little bits of code with, with like a really cool environment that I modeled out myself. And that knowledge of C sharp actually like kind of pushed me ahead in like the application process for the Flatiron School. Cause, um, back in 20, I think I started, I did that in like 2014, 2015. I'm unsure. But, uh, back then, like there was this PBS report about the Flatiron School and like it was a harder admission rate than like Harvard back then. And mm-hmm. that was pretty crazy <laughs> to think about. <laughs> so, so, um, it was honestly like this one thing that I really wanted to do. I wanted to like make applications, whether that be games, webs, web, or just kind of like um, desktop applications. And the Flatiron School just kind of like popped up out of nowhere. And I was just, it was, it was uh, and I was working on small little projects in code as well. So it just kind of like all came together at the same time and really got me in there. The Flatiron School was amazing though. So what were some of the memorable moments at the fire? Yeah. At school. So, um, my first memorable moment was building out our first, uh, program. Uh, we built this, uh, this application that would, um, check for like your, your GitHub repo status. Um, GitHub is just kind of like, uh, a website where you just kind of push up your code. Um, and we use kind of like Git to kind of like like, uh, for version controls and stuff like that. So, uh, we were all learning about GitHub kind of like at the same time at Flatiron school. So we just kind of built out this app to kind of help with facilitate this process. And it was just kind of to help people understand, um, their process on GitHub through like a small little command line terminal. That was really exciting. And then, uh, my next really cool, exciting, uh, thing uh thing was another thing i built uh it was this anime um directory kind of uh like application so uh a lot of times like like i am a big fan of anime and i always want to kind of like discover new anime and like based off of like different anime and stuff and this was i don't think like funimation had yeah crunchyroll existed right yeah it did but it didn't have like it wasn't like kind of catered to you. So it was just kind of like it, it had, it had like, you might like this, but it didn't have the whole directory of anime. So like, this is pre VRV. Yeah, exactly. So we built out, uh, this application with like basically like all that we knew from like the four weeks we were there so far and made this, cool app anime application where we just kind of like find the right anime that you want you find little uh youtube snippets that we kind of put in so you can actually watch either parts of it or like just analysis of it and a you'd have a section for like people like the this anime based off of the rating system from this api that we were using um that was um, a really awesome application. And it's like something that I still look back on and I'm like really amazed that we were able to build in like four weeks. Like a lot of the people really 
had little to no coding experience. I, even though I was making these small little Unity projects, I was doing them from YouTube tutorials. I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but then like four weeks later, we just built this really cool application out from the ground up. Honestly, um, instead of like updating the app, I kind of decided to like work on new stuff um, and just kind of like take what I've learned to kind of build out more stuff. Um, one of my next kind of web stuff might be a, uh, the same thing for manga, which would be pretty cool. Hey, I mean, we need interactive manga yeah. know, directory to see what's good. And if I like this, then I want to be able to read this next. Yeah. So from there, you worked for Games for Change, Pixel Academy, mm -hmm. and obviously Microsoft learning about different interactive concepts with game designs. So what did you uh, learn from that experience? Yeah, so I actually um, uh, went to Pixel Academy first, um, and that was, um, well, it was actually Pixel Academy and Games for Change um, first. And actually, sorry to back this up. I actually did those two things before Flatiron School, just kind mm -hmm. of like wanting to get into the space of interactivity and like um like application development and just games in general because like i always kept saying like all right i just need to do apps and then i need to do like you know like desktop apps and then i can finally like sneak it games in or something like that because you know like we're unfortunately like this was like new york around 2014 like this was mm -hmm. like there's nothing game related here it's just kind of like all right you, you like you have to move to california if you want to make games and stuff <laughs> right or right san francisco or yeah. la at that point yeah exactly so um i saw this company uh called like um games for change and pixel academy and they were both kind of looking for uh people to help out and I found this as a great opportunity to just kind of like learn while I'm helping out. And at Pixel Academy, I like kind of like taught kids what I knew about Unity, which was very little, but it was really cool because like I was able to learn as I ta taught them. So what like I just kind of like taught them, I can actually incorporate in my like game and stuff like that in the future. So uh, and Games for Change is something I think um, that was like amazing when I first saw it, I was just like, there people are trying to make games that matter. And that's what I think will evolve our medium. So I like worked with them on just kind of like working on like, uh, their festival, which is, uh, the games for change, uh, summit. They, they usually have it here and I'd really recommend it. Cause there's a lot of really cool, just things being built out. There's also this VR, um, this VR, jam that happens where they kind of pair neuroscientists with like vr developers and they <laughs> see what they can make that can kind of like correlate with what actual uh um with like what can actually be made in vr that can actually kind of promote a change so like that's really exciting that's pretty fascinating yeah. because i did, i have seen vr incorporated with like body parts and one of my friends parents they do a lot of vr work and i tried it out and you get to really scan through the inside of the organs yeah. to see how it looks like it's um it's the magic school bus now like we can <laughs> experience it now. <laughs> from there his Fascio went on to work at microsoft and interactive corp or iac where amongst other applications he helped develop microsoft technology for good program and also created the oculus virtual reality game don't look away i was looking for um, an opportunity where I can work on a multifacet of applications. I wanted to kind of uh, 
uh, stretch my my development skills and like this was like I was at Microsoft at the time and we were working on technology for good. This is like really awesome stuff. Civic technology is amazing and will change the world. Um, but like these, they're smaller tasks that like are just at a certain point, not as challenging as I would want in the future. Like, uh, um, so I switched to IEC because like there's just like IEC technically owns like everything at this point uh, and it's really interesting when you think about it like a lot of times you you, you like when I tell my friends I work for IEC they're like wait what is that and I'll just say oh the company that owns Tinder Match.com College Humor and like I'll just be out of breath by like yeah exactly uh, so at that company like with all of those products you can kind of like work on like one week you'd be working on a um a forms finder application and then the next week you're working on a gaming wonderland gaming directory kind of thing and then the next week you're working on a calendar application on the browser that kind of syncs with your phone and stuff and it's like a really cool adventure and understanding how all of these things work how you can share a lot of like the um, core functionality in code and just kind of like share that along a lot of these products and stuff, which is really cool. And yeah, from, from that experience, mm -hmm. right. You learn, you just got to experience plethora of different applications in ISC, yeah. but what led you to create the Oculus game though? Yeah. So once I kind of got a little bit more comfortable with, um, understanding how to build out applications, um, like from like my experience at ISC, I realized that um, if I don't make games now, I'll probably always just kind of like uh, have that in the back of my head saying, man, I really should have did that when I was uh, younger. So um, I worked with a couple of my friends from like Playcrafting. Playcrafting is like the organization that ran Play NYC. Um, they're amazing. They like, honestly, if it wasn't for them, like we wouldn't really have like a video game culture in New York at this point. So they're the reason why we're seeing more indies kind of pop up in New York City, which is really cool. But, but what triggered that moment for you to yeah. really actually design your yeah. own game? Like, what was that pivotal yeah, so, point? Um, I actually was with like some friends from Playcrafting, and I talked about this idea that I had. It was uh, it started with um, an idea based off of like doctor who's kind of uh like doctor who's weeping angels where every time you look away like they come at you a little bit closer and i realized like hey guys we can like totally make something where a monster is kind of like that in vr like vr like there's uh there's actually when you look away and then something comes right back at you like something's changed like you you feel that internally you feel that like in your core and it's like really unsettling and that's not a lot of like animation and code that we really need to do there. So um, I kind of like drafted out, don't look away there. And we just kind of slowly but surely worked on it. So when I say slowly but surely, I mean, we like literally just went to a pret um, after work. Like we, our Wednesday was our scheduled meetup. And then like we'd meet like Tuesday, Tuesdays and like, Tuesdays and Thursdays every so often, like when we need to kind of like really come together and finish some stuff. So we just kind of did that throughout the week after work, just kind of met at Pret, worked on some small things in the game. Um, 
and slowly but surely that turned into like our MVP of don't look away. And we just kind of decided, all right, like, do we want to make more levels or do we want to kind of like release this and see how it, how it goes? We honestly thought this was just like a little pet project. This was not going to really like, like five people are going to download this indie little thing over here. And, um, the second we released it, um, we instantly shot up to like 60,000 downloads and we were just like we, we honestly thought it was an error on, on <laughs> oculus's part and it like slowly but surely just kept raising and we were just kind of like oh crap what are, like <laughs> what have, what have we done <laughs> did, did you really expect it to get that popular where it went over 300k downloads yeah, I, like you didn't expect that to be I, a hit i thought there was going to be like five people that downloaded it honestly and uh uh i didn't i, I think what i did was underestimate like how hungry in the market is for VR content. And that was amazing. Cause like people from all weeks of life are just kind of like playing this project. There's um, this analytics tab inside of like the Oculus store where you can kind of see how many hours of time people have played in your game. And it's definitely been like, like a good, it was like a year and change of like collective time I've wasted <laughs> from people from people playing this game, and it's like it's it's cool to like that's a that's a weird way of phrasing it. A, a year of people enjoying my my experience <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in VR um, from like everyone playing it. It was like maybe a eight minute experience. It's um, pretty, yeah. uh, pretty good for VR, especially because VR games are such a short yeah. time span too. That was actually what really helped us out as like the, this like ragtag group of indie developers trying to make this. Because uh, if we were making a console game, we would have it would have probably been so intimidating that we like energy would have died down and like the the project would have kind of went into the graveyard like a lot of indie games, unfortunately. So. What we kind of kept telling ourselves is this is a small, um, episodic, compartmentalized, eight-minute. We, we started with a five-minute experience, then it bumped to like six, then it bumped to like eight. So we just kept telling ourselves like this is a small experience that we're gonna just kind of like finish and release into the world and see what happens. And that's what kind of helped us kind of scope down and like release this project, <laughs> which. Uh, which is hard. It's honestly hard to release a project. Release a project that you didn't think it was perfected mm -hmm. and just release it anyways, but fix it later once yeah. you realize what was the feedback going mm -hmm. on. So kind of backpedaling a little bit towards it, what is like the experience of actually creating your own game in your own role that hundreds of people actually download and play for it? And what were like some of the obstacles you faced during that time? We There are two developers on the team, uh, me and Andrew Lohman. Andrew Lohman is one of like the best and most friendly programmers I've ever worked with. It's, he is, he's a saint and he's awesome. So like we would just kind of pair program together a lot of times um, just and what pair programming is, it's really cool. Uh, we learned this at Flatiron School. One person drives and the other person navigates um, working on a particular task. Um, what would happen is like we help with our um, weaknesses. Our weaknesses became like what he was weak at was um, like I was strong at and where I was strong at. So it was at. a yin and yang yeah. type of relationship yeah. working together. Yeah. So that was really cool. Releasing it is also another interesting piece because um, what Oculus's um, 
uh, launch processes and they've definitely changed it a little bit now too but it's kind of like set up almost like the apple store where you would have a test to kind of uh test the experience and then a test to kind of like see if like the gameplay mechanics find and stuff like that and you would actually like sometimes fail <laughs> in in the submission process because of like the reviewer's opinion on something so that was a really interesting uh process so how was that hurdle going through it it was definitely tough and it was definitely defeating a lot of times too so you we would um have something ready we would say this is our best product so far and then oculus would say like hey um we noticed that the loading screen is flickering turn that off okay and then two weeks later because like it's a two-week kind of cycle process we turn that off and then they'd have another issue and it's just it, you're you go through that a little bit and granted oculus is just trying to make the best kind of like vr experience for their platform so even though they were like in hindsight i'm really happy that they like forced us to do these changes because these changes might have uh impacted like the way people experience the game but like when you're in the nitty-gritty of it man is it tedious it's just really really annoying to like get your have your game fail because of a loading screen so <laughs> it was, how many times did you have to go through it until it got approved yeah, we went through it a good i think four times so uh the fourth time like didn't even notice it was passed there just like we got this email and it was um, it was slightly after the holiday season, but I was just like, this is my Christmas present to myself. Oh my God, this game's <laughs> finally going to be released. It's, it's, uh, it's really like, um, you go through it and you just get these letters, like these emails about like, and then you just kind of open them. Like you're opening a Christmas present or, or something like that. And you're just like hoping that it's no, it's more like a loot box. So you never know if you're getting anything good in a loot box or anything right. like that. So, <laughs> so you just open that up and then, uh, well, your, your app failed again. All right, well, time to ship it off, get another loot crate, and then uh, hope for the best or something. Was the success of Dunluck away? His Vasio continued to work on his craft and eventually started on a new game called Museum Multiverse which is featured at Play NYC. Um, yeah, Museum Multiverse is another VR um, um, game that I'm making for the Oculus Go and Gear VR. It's a puzzle platformer for the, it's, it's a puzzle platformer. <laughs> and uh, basically the story of this is you're actually a kid that wakes up in a cursed museum and you have to find your way out by actually jumping to the, into the different art worlds to actually uh, rectify the wrongs of those art pieces to find your way out. What's really cool about it is each picture frame that you jump into is a perspective change. So you played the third person part and don't worry, we actually, we actually made that part a lot easier from like the play test of play NYC and stuff like that. Like we, uh, uh, don't worry. So next time you play it, you'll actually be able to beat it. All right. Good. good. <laughs> because I don't want to be stuck in one level forever. <laughs> um, yeah. You like, just wait till you get to the next level. So, oh. <laughs> um, there is like that, that level was all third person. Um, when you actually get sucked into the painting, um, the first painting, you're actually in a first person exploration kind of, uh, experience game. So, it's almost like the genre changes per picture frame you kind of go into, which is really a cool mechanic that we wanted to kind of uh, play around with because like there's 
no one really knows what works in VR. And I think I wanted to kind of like cultivate all the stuff that I found really cool about VR, like play mechanic wise, and actually kind of craft a really cool story within there. So I wanted to dive in more into about the meaning of the game. So yeah. can you tell me more about the meaning of the game and if there are correlations to your life and where you are right now with the game? Yeah, so um, there is a deeper meaning to the game. Uh, the Curse Museum that you're in are like artists that weren't represented in their time. So that's what actually is the reason for this Curse kind of museum. Um, you rectifying the wrongs of these each art piece is actually kind of like... Um, helping the unrested spirits just kind of uh um be kind of well it's it's more on the lines of you you're actually rectifying the wrongs of each spirit and you're actually um helping them kind of move on you're not you're never going to be able to kind of like help them like as in a happy ending or anything like that it's never going to be like like one and done kind of situation but you you help them in one aspect and that hopefully is enough to kind of help them uh, move on. So the reason for that is um, representation and the reason for that kind of storyline in the game. Because um, honestly, um, the way I set up this game is it's a puzzle platformer with this horror element. But if you dig a little deeper, you kind of understand the story a little bit more. And the reason for that is representation in art and games and just kind of a lot of mediums is just really uh a really tough kind of uh situation to kind of get into as a um a person of color and they're like i wanted to kind of like create that uh metaphor as a um create that metaphor as kind of like a mechanic in art and in museum multiverse so the idea of kind of uh playing the kind of metaphor over just kind of like having the metaphor shot through you through like a well kind of like yelled at you through a cutscene is like something that i think is way more important and um from there you can kind of form your own decision about like whether you agree with this whether you don't agree with this it's completely fine you're up to your own opinion about it but yeah like the major kind of uh idea is that um how does it correlate with my life um i have a well like like i have plenty of really cool ideas back when i was younger when i was like working on stuff and and or just kind of like trying to get a chance to kind of like break into either the industry or just somewhere else and it was just this weird um nebulous world where i couldn't get it to the right people and in the right and if the right people kind of saw like the work that i did like they would just kind of uh um it would not be it would not be represented the way that like it would with a like another uh, someone else and stuff like that so um there is it, it correlates a lot with me and a, a lot with like my friends who deal with the same problems and um, what I want to do, of course, like it, when I make my games is not make something that is like just the next GTA or something like that. I want someone, to, I want people to have fun with the game, but actually have like a thought provoking conversation, like at the end, uh, something similar to, um, Aaron McGoober's like boondocks where it was this really funny show about these two kids living in the boondocks, but each episode was a, a story that you can kind of like 
um, discuss about at the end. Something philosophical and thought-provoking that's always really important in what we do now. And I think more and more of our content that we see, whether it's games, any media, or publication, it's very much about having that flaw and understanding that. So going into this, um, are are there like specific roadblocks that you or others in the industry have faced uh, throughout that time? um, Yeah, definitely just like representation in general. I think like honestly, uh, the... Um, a lot of uh, my friends and stuff like that are telling me I'm having I'm gonna have a tough time because like just the main protagonist is a kid and it's a person of color uh, kid and that's just like you don't have that on the cover of boxes and stuff unfortunately unless you're rockstar games um, so like things like that the idea of just kind of like making this more of a metaphor like in gameplay is something that like um looking from the reviews like i would note it i would know like people are not gonna some people are not gonna like like for example um a couple of like one of my friends made this experience called i am a man for the oculus riff it's basically the narrative of a black man in the 1960s during the civil rights movement and stuff like that and uh you kind of go into the hotel of martin luther king just like in a vr experience to kind of see the like the last day of mlk and the reviews on that were just like like they were either clearly racist or just clearly just like this this left field propaganda or yada yada like this is just a hillary ad campaign for the election or like no this is like it's MLK's 50th birthday and they're like reviews are the reviews of like people that currently have the headsets um, that are vocal are a little unfortunate. And I think I'm actually like Museum Multiverse might have a small little hiccup in that matter. But I think I'm hoping that like people will enjoy the game and understand like the game and if they want to dive deeper into like the meaning like they can they don't um just enjoy the game yeah i agree with you and i think that's what a lot of us uh, people of color really face that could be really tough but what's really in the future for you and what kind of impact do you want to really bring to the future generations what's that being said yeah so um i want each of my games to kind of like have a meaning to them meaning that like you can conversate about so um museum multiverse is going to have like the representation um conversation hopefully brought up we'll see um there's another ar app that i'm working on that will kind of have like another kind of element too i can't really talk about like what that is yet but uh, uh stay tuned for that and um, don't look away actually people didn't realize this but had a meaning uh, had a small meaning as well like about like what happens if like there is no escape at the end like what if like video games you're you're trained to kind of have like this idea that like there's always a way out like but in life there's usually isn't the case like yeah so like that's that was like the small little meaning we were trying to make and don't look away that 
we hope three people got, but we'll see. No, I agree. Do you think the industry is going to evolve over the next few years with all these changes that you and your colleague to try to push? Yeah, so I, I hope so. I honestly think the industry will only change if there's like more like representation within the industry and there's more people like us kind of like in bigger roles making bigger games and stuff like that yeah it, i think that's yeah. the really uh tough part about these big uh game uh game companies and i think we just need to keep on pushing until we find something yeah. so i do have a big uh ultimate question that i want to really ask you mm-hmm. do you believe uh, gameplay is a metaphor to life i think i think gameplay is play and play is a mechanic kind of like of life it's just kind of what makes things this part of life that always like happens gameplay is one facet of life and we're just kind of trying to cultivate that one facet because that's one of the most enjoyable parts of life play thank you for listening to the episode with game developer Hisfasio Hassan if you want to learn more about his work please check out the website below Coming up in the next episode of Stories for You, we sat down with Marissa Feinberg, a social impact entrepreneur and brand builder who brings changes to different communities. So originally, I just thought I would go get a corporate job. And I liked the idea of having a go-to work environment and being surrounded by a community of people that you're collaborating with. You know, if you look at movies like Working Girl, you know, I, I definitely saw a life like that for myself. But my first job out of school was definitely a bit more corporate for someone like myself who grew up in a creative environment. I worked at the General Electric Foundation, and that was uh, a program I worked very hard to be accepted to. There were only eight people in the country who were accepted into the communications leadership program. And six months into it, I felt physically stifled, which was definitely my own doing for for not giving myself enough creative space while I was there to pursue other things and to be to being too heads down. So six months later, you know, I, I left the program that I had worked four years to get into and moved to New York with no plan. That's next on Stories for You. This is a Daylight Interactive production. This show is hosted by me, Kazuki Akiba. This week's episode is produced by me and Reed Gurman. Additional dialogue written by Tiffany Koo and Nicole Bernardo. Edited by John Lanier and Nicole Bernardo. Ray Lanuza and Gray Laptop mixed the episode. Music by Gray Laptop. If you're enjoying stories for you, leave us a review. Also, tell your friends. Don't be shy. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time on Stories for You as we focus on exciting new voices.